Hey everyone, and welcome to this uh, week's, uh, I guess, week two of our football-centric episodes of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson Kane. And I'm Kyle Grondon. And today's a special one. First of all, we're actually in person. We're not uh, doing these over Zoom. It's incredible to be back. Yep. Yeah, back and, you know, having good audio feed now that it's working and we're ready to go. I feel like, was the last one, like, post-Super Bowl? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so like very that. fitting, yeah. Yeah. So back to football, yeah. back to uh, in-person podcasts. So, so for this week's episode, we're going to go over some of the stuff from uh, College Football Week 1, uh, look forward to some of the big games from the uh, opening week of the NFL, and then uh, predict some of the big winners and losers of this week in college football. You know, exciting. Yeah, it should be good stuff. Once again, this is the Sports Break Podcast, more of your, you know, casual conversation, no expert opinions, hot takes. Michael Irvin's not going to join the show over at Max Kellerman, anything no, like that. No, and, and no Tim Tebow either, you know. we. <laughs> I, I got to say, like, and obviously at this point, I think first take has just become entertainment over necessarily like a actual, like, thoughtful conversation show. Like, and, and I think that's partially good, you know, because I'm sure there's so many other shows that try to do, like, straight-laced sports talk, but it's like... I don't know. There's something funny about like Max Kellerman getting replaced with Michael Irvin. Like, yeah. First of all, I do find it funny that like Max Kellerman, who was thought to be like the stabilizing force after Skip Bayless left, is now like getting jettisoned, maybe from the entire network. Well, I think they're giving him his own show for like boxing and such. I don't know what's going on. I mean, he had his own radio show, correct? Yeah. Which I, I, I honestly don't mind. Like, I've always honestly thought that Kellerman's been pretty good. Like. I used to watch him when he was on Sports Nation and then, like, a bunch of his other stuff. But first take is such a hard thing to do. And really only Skip and uh, – I'm not even a big fan of Shannon. I think Skip and uh, uh, Stephen A. are the only two people who can kind of do it. They've certainly cornered the market on it, so. Yeah. Anyway, let's get started on the, the week that was in college football. Uh, starting with probably the big theme of the week, which was – you know, top 10 teams struggling. Not Alabama, obviously, but like you look at some of these big, you know, like Oklahoma Tulane, uh, Iowa State, and Northern Iowa, Oregon, Oregon, who was just outside the top 10, but they barely won there. There were a lot of top 10 teams who just did not play up to their level in week one. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of this is just, you know, week one, you're figuring things out. You're kind of playing vanilla because, I mean, a lot of those teams, too, they have big games in week two. Outside of, obviously, Georgia and Clemson, who had their big game in week one against each other, you know, I, Ohio State and Oregon are getting ready to play each other. Iowa State's getting ready to play Iowa. All of these games are happening next week, and they're probably being a little more vanilla with their offense and what they want to do, not showing too much on the tape, so... I'm giving the. I think I'd give everybody just about a week of a leeway to say, okay, you're figuring things out still. It's still early in the season, but if you start looking bad in like some of these next couple of weeks, then I'm a little concerned, and then I'm starting to judge those teams a little more harshly. Well, I guess let's start off with the games before Saturday because those were kind of our like exciting like uh, the big one. Obviously, first of all, being Ohio State in Minnesota, where I may be wrong. I believe Minnesota was leading for like the good three quarters of that game. Before Ohio State absolutely came back and, you know, won by 14 points. Um, I, I, that's the kind of game where I, I, I speak to your point of, like, I don't know if necessarily Ohio State, like, showed they're not as good as we thought they were or just struggled for the first quarter because this is their first time playing football in, you know, in nine, ten months. 
Yeah. But at the same time, you know, Minnesota's not an opponent I would sleep on, so I feel like that was a game that's kind of ripe for trap game. Yeah, I mean, they're playing Oregon next week, so that is a trap situation. I think Minnesota is better than they were last year because, I mean, with that whole COVID situation and having to basically jump into everything and only playing six games last year, Minnesota was basically missing its entire offensive line for all of their games last season. So now that those guys are all back, they look better. They ran the ball really well. They controlled the clock, and, you know, they're up 14-10 at halftime and then 17-14 after the first two drives of the third quarter. And... Had a chance to win it, but then you kind of just figured that, you know, I never really felt worried about Ohio State. I was just like, Ohio State, I mean, I think they were my preseason pick to win the national championship with Oklahoma as an option, too. I mean, I just think that they're going to get off the bus and score 40 points. And once they started figuring things out on offense, they were unstoppable again because that's just what they are. They have the best receiving core in college football. They have a good quarterback who started to figure things out in the second half of his first start. And they got three running backs who are probably the three best running backs in the Big Ten as well. I'm not really worried about them yet, but they started to figure things out and explode in the second half for 35 points. Yeah, and it's not like they're playing again. They're playing a team with a good coach in P.J. Fleck. Uh, where do you equate to, like, Stroud apparently? Again, I was at a game. I think you may have too. So how do you equate like Stroud's struggles in the first half? Do you equate that to just you know first time on the job, freshman? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's different from doing it on the practice field to stepping onto a real game and getting ready to play a real opponent. And I think that especially with these freshman quarterbacks that, you know, guys like Fields and Trevor Lawrence have almost gotten us into this idea that these guys should be superstars the moment they step on a field. That's typically not how it works, you know. And, you know, despite all of the struggles in the first half, he ended up with four touchdowns and only one interception. So it's not that bad of a day at the office. In fact, you know, for most people, that's a great day at the office. He did a good job, and I think he's going to keep, you know, progressing and being one of the best quarterbacks in college football this season. Uh, the big upset, obviously, was the game on Friday. I'd say the big upset, uh, Virginia Tech beating North Carolina 17-10. Uh, going into the season, I think both of us – you were a little bit more skeptical of North Carolina than I think I was, but I think both of us expected pretty decent things from this North Carolina team, at least compared to some of the other ACC teams. Um, and, man, they just laid a – I felt like, even though they had 10 points, I feel like they just laid a goose egg against Virginia Tech. They, their offense really struggled. Uh, yeah, I mean, they got beat up in this game, honestly. Like, there's really no other way to put it. They, I, don't, I, I still believe in North Carolina's talent, and I think they're going to win a lot of games still. In fact, I think they're going to win 8-10 to 10 games still. But it was a little concerning that they got punched in the mouth and didn't really have a response. Virginia Tech was more physical throughout the game. Mm-hmm. They forced turnovers with their physicality. And North Carolina didn't really want to you know, punch back, it seemed like, at times. You know, I don't even think Virginia Tech actually played that well, especially in the second half. They looked terrible at times. Which, which I think is the more alarming thing. It's like... Like, if you see a team lose by seven points when they're favored by seven points, you say, okay, maybe the other team just played a really good game and they struggled for part of it. Like, Virginia Tech had probably a really good first 20 minutes, probably, and then they kind of played average. But North Carolina took up until, like, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter to do anything, really. Like, Sam Howell, who a lot of people going into the season was, like, a contender for a Heisman and a number one overall pick, really, really struggled throughout that first half. And it's like, 
And I, again, I know that one ha- one game shouldn't decide whether you're a Heisman candidate or whether you're a uh, number one overall pick. But you see that game, and you're like, this is the guy people were so high on. Yeah, I mean, he still has the talent, but you know, I think there's slowly going to be a narrative built about North Carolina, which I don't know if it's true or not, or if they just lost a couple big games, but. You know, they got up to number five in the polls last year and lost to Florida State, which was a bad Florida State team. Right off the bat, they're ranked in the top ten this year and then drop it to Virginia Tech, which I think, I don't think it's a bad Virginia Tech team, but it's definitely an average Virginia Tech team. It's definitely not a team that a top ten team should be losing to. Or at the and, very least, is not a team that you should be losing to, to for the entire game. Yeah. Like, I could, again, North Carolina struggled, a lot of teams struggled in week one. I could see a Virginia Tech team like, Keeping it close like they did and then scoring a late touchdown to win. But, you know, they just thoroughly got outplayed by Virginia Tech. Outcoached, it seemed like. I mean, if you're North Carolina, I don't know if running the table is the thing you have to do, but you at least have to win 10 of your next 11 games in order to not have the season be extremely disappointing. Because you came in with such high expectations. I mean... It was a bad week for the ACC in general. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. It was a really bad week for the ACC, but I think the only team that really impressed me in that entire conference was NC State. Um, You know, I think NC State's a real team that's going to, you know, beat a lot of teams up. But yeah, I mean, I don't really know where this North Carolina team, you know, they still want to win a lot of games, and I still think they can, but, you know, it doesn't get easier for them. They still got to win some tough Mm -hmm. games coming up, so I don't know where they're going to be at. And if you're Sam Howell, you've got to look better next week. Like, even say what you will about North Carolina as a team, say what you will about Mac Brown and how he's coaching that team. If you're Sam Howell and you have the potential to be a top-five pick, you need to look better in your next game or else your stock will fall dramatically. Yeah. Um, speaking of North Carolina, the other kind of mid-tier ACC team going to this weekend was Miami. And obviously they had a tough test against Alabama. We kind of knew this was going to happen. We didn't know it was going to happen that dramatically, though, at least in, ter- in terms of just how much better Alabama looked than Miami. Because, like, the score is 31 points. I even think that's shortchanging how good Alabama looked. Uh, yeah, I mean, is it, though? I mean, like, I don't know. I think Alabama is just a different class than, you know, I think the top five teams are what the top five teams are. And then from there... I just think it's a different class of opponent. I mean, I really do. I think Miami can still be a decent team this year. I mean, and I still throw think in like I throw in like the top seven. Yeah, depending on Iowa State. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm throwing in number six, but uh, I, I definitely think that again, and we'll get to one of the other struggling teams in a second, kind of like uh, Ohio State. But it's like I definitely think that there's a big gap between like the top seven or eight and you know, everyone else. But even considering that, like, there, there is an even bigger difference, it looks like, this week between number one and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Because Alabama, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, how are they going to replace all they've lost last year. And, you know, last year's team had a very good shot of being even better than the LSU team. And some people think they are. Uh, and then this team comes out and just blows Miami out of the water. And it's like... What are they? What are you going to do? Alabama's just going to do this every year. Yeah, and I think there are going to be teams that catch them this season. I don't think Alabama's necessarily unbeatable, but it definitely was a you know 
impressive performance to start the season and very impressive given that, you know, it's whole new wide receivers and quarterback, basically, and running back. So. And, and, yeah, and Bryce Young definitely looked like the million-dollar man. Like, I mean, he looked like the five-star quarterback for a reason. You know, he, he, had, he was highly touted. He almost won the job over Mac Jones, and we saw what Mac Jones did last year, and we saw why Bryce Young was in serious consideration for that job. You know, Bryce Young is a legitimately super talented quarterback, and I think he's going to continue it this year. I mean, he's the best quarterback in the SEC already. There's no debate for me. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about another guy in a second who kind of had a bad week, but he's definitely leading the class in terms of, like, flashy quarterbacks and what he can do on any game. And partially part of that has to do with his receiving core because, again, it's like five stars all across the board. But you talk about uh, if you had a quarterback this year, Bryce Young would definitely be up there. Uh, What was your thoughts on how DeYard King played? Um, It was a little stiff. Um... You know, coming off that torn ACL injury, I didn't think he'd be able to move. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I kind of evaluated it. I mean, he didn't carry the ball a whole lot. So, I just, you know, I think we're going to get the... I think Derrick King's still going to have a good season. I just don't know if we'll see fully healthy Derrick King till October. No, and this is probably what I expected him to play like, both in terms of having to face that Alabama defense, and then also, again, as you said, coming off of the injury... I think it's going to be more telling how he plays next week to determine how he's going to play throughout the year and possibly... Because he has one more year of eligibility, right? Or is this it? I don't know anymore. <laughs> he might have 10 years. He's kind of like... Uh, is it, was it Hunter Renfro that played, like... Because of, like, medical injuries and stuff like that, he felt like he played, like, six or seven years? There's been a handful of guys that have been able to do it. I mean, I don't exactly know how long he's going to be able to play, but it feels like he's been playing forever. So, he's, uh, you know... Who knows how much how much time he actually has left anymore? True. Uh, so again, we talk about uh, let's 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 go through all our big ranked teams, and then we'll go through some of the struggling teams. Uh, also, at that time, we had Penn State and Wisconsin, <laughs> which I know we talked about in person, a because we were in the office together, but also because it was the early game. But man. Wisconsin just completely fell flat in week one, in my opinion. Like they looked like the better team. But their secondary was trash, and they couldn't execute in the red zone. I mean, Wisconsin had 29 first downs to Penn State 11. Third down efficiency, Wisconsin was 7 for 22. Penn State was 3 for 13. Total yards, 359 to Wisconsin, 297 for Penn State. Rushing yards, 174 yards for Wisconsin, 50 yards for Penn State. The difference was, oh, time of possession, 42 minutes and 51 seconds, Wisconsin, 17 minutes and 9 seconds, Penn State. The difference was three turnovers. Three turnovers that weren't just turnovers. They were turnovers in the worst opportune, the worst moments possible for this team. Yeah. You know, multiple red zone turnovers, multiple turnovers in their own end, turning the ball over on downs in their own in their red zone as well. Just mistake after mistake. You know, they kind of blew this game. I mean, there's really another way to put it. This was the team that looked like they could have been set up to run the table here into the Big Ten championship yeah. with the way their schedule broke, and they kind of blew this game. This was their toughest opponent, and you know. They choked, honestly. Yeah. And they were choked at a home game that they should have won. And we'll talk about a little bit later about your uh, Heisman candidate, how he did in week one. But uh, yeah. I talked last week about Mertz and how I thought he could have a really good year and leading Wisconsin far. He played like trash. I mean, 185 yards and two interceptions from a quarterback, you, you know, is very efficient. Is like, what are you doing, guys? Like, And then on the opposite side, we talk about this. 
It felt like the Penn State receivers weren't doing anything flashy. They just got so wide open. Yeah. I mean, I think Dotson, the guy who had the big game, is legitimately a good receiver. I'm not denying Uh, that. They have good receiver talent, but it felt like it wasn't like their receiver talent just stepped up. It felt like the Wisconsin defensive backs I mean, the thing is, is it felt like it was just simple, you know, slot out, um, outside receiver post, you know. Uh, wheel route, post routes, go routes, and, you know, hitches. It was basically simple route combinations that it looked like Wisconsin had not practiced all offseason. You know, it was just basically simple two guys on the outside, one's running this route, one's running another route. You just had to switch. And they didn't switch any time. Dotson just broke free every time. And he got five big plays out of the game that led to a touchdown. And that was basically all there was to it. So if you're uh, if you're Penn State, let's start with the Penn State side of it. What like is this a win that can build you towards maybe not necessarily a Big Ten title, but like build you towards like a top ten ranking in the year and postseason success potentially? I don't know if this team's actually a top ten team. I mean, I think it's a solid team, but I'm still not a yeah. Clifford fan at the quarterback spot. I think the defense was opportunistic to create some turnovers. But at the same time, I didn't think the defense necessarily played that well. True. I, I honestly, I think I agree with you in that. I don't know if this was. I don't think this was them necessarily like op- being opportunistic. I think this was just uh, Wisconsin making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And and we, we've talked about this at the high school level. If you make the the team that makes the most mistakes is on is nine times out of ten the team that loses. And so you talk about how Wisconsin played the game and. Yeah, like, every team who plays like that is probably going to lose. Yeah, they uh, they made a ton of mistakes. I still think Wisconsin can win the West. I think, um, you know, the overreaction says that they are done now. They're still going to win a bunch of games. I think they'll be fine at the end of the day. But, I mean, as far as, like, a team that's been looking to break through the, the, the imaginary ceiling almost above them because, you know, there is a ceiling to Wisconsin right now. Wisconsin is a team that... Habitually is going to be ranked in the top, you know, 8 to 15, but I don't think this is ever going to turn into a top 7 football program until they start to open things up on offense. And this is another situation where this team doesn't open things up on offense. They have this highly touted recruit that everyone's excited about his arm talent and all that, and he's still handed the ball off 50 times a game. He's still doing the same Wisconsin stuff that everyone's And when Wisconsin he throws it, he apparently throws a bunch of interceptions. Yeah, but I mean, even then, it's like, you know, you're putting him in situations where it's just like, quarterbacks don't succeed like that anymore, and you're putting him in situations where he's set up to fail, and he's failing, and I, I don't know, I, I think I, I, I attribute it a little bit to Mertz, because obviously he he can't make those mistakes, but at the same time, if Wisconsin's going to keep handing the ball off 50 times a game, and then trying to run some play actions where guys aren't really getting open because you don't have that good of receivers then you're not going to be a team that's ever, you know, an outside contender for a college football playoff spot. And that's their next step. That's where they want to be, where they can actually win Big Ten championship games. You're not beating Ohio State if you're not efficient in the play action. You don't have receivers that can make plays. And, you know, you, you don't have quarterbacks that are have the talent to be able to do it. And it's very telling that also Jack Cohn was awesome this week. Jack Cohn transfers from Wisconsin. He starts from Notre Dame week one. He was awesome in week one against Florida State. In a game where everything else looked kind of bad for Notre Dame, he dominated the game and won yeah. in that game. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, again, we'll see what happens with Wisconsin. I don't think they're out of it. I just definitely think that no team can ever play like this two weeks in a season. Like, because legitimately they may have had, just in terms of how they played in general, the worst season, aside from maybe the team we'll talk about in a second. But, uh, yeah, Wisconsin played really bad. I'm kind of on you with the the Penn State thing, where I, I still don't know how good they are. I don't know if they won this game. I think it more just came to... Wisconsin lost this game, so we'll. we'll I mean, have... we're, they're still miles below Ohio State for me, and I guess that's the thing is like if you're a Big Ten team, you're saying, "Can we compete with Ohio State?" Especially a Big Ten East team like Penn State. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they can compete with Ohio State. I'm taking the Michigan game with the the smallest of grains of salt because they were playing a lower class opponent, and then Indiana. You know, they're probably better than Indiana, who just got bushwhacked. So yeah, I mean. You know, so they're probably in that second or third spot in the Big Ten East. But to me, it's still at that point, if you're comparing yourself to Ohio State, which is the benchmark, you're still probably 20, 25 points behind. True. And, you know, maybe they, maybe by the end of the season, they'll be there. And maybe maybe this is just them, you know, similar to like a bunch of the other teams this week struggled in week one. But they just came out with a win because the other team struggled more. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, speaking of that bushwhacking, as you just said, uh, the I guess the the new like clear team in the Big Ten West is Iowa, just because they absolutely destroyed Indiana. Um, you know, thirty four to six. It was never even close. Uh, the Iowa defense outscored the Indiana entire team. If if you're Iowa, for, let's start with Iowa. If you're Iowa, you've got to be really proud of that performance because you you not only did you win. You won in a way that I think no other Big Ten team this year at least looks like they can stop. Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing is too is that the offense didn't really look that great in that game. You know, they only threw the ball for 5.4 yards per attempt. They had, you know, they ended up with 158 yards rushing, but you know, they didn't have a single 100-yard rusher. Um, I didn't think there was anything that really blew me away offensively, but if you're going to get, you know, two defensive touchdowns, you're probably going to win a football game every time. (laughs) I also don't think they played bad offensively. I've I've actually seen the people saying that Iowa did not play good offensively. I don't think that was the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's the fact that they were on the defensively so much just because they could not, like, they kept scoring touchdowns and they kept doing really well. Yeah, I mean, Iowa kind of reminds me of, like, I think it was Northwestern a couple years ago where they were, like, Mediocre on offense, but like so good on defense, it almost didn't matter. Yeah, uh, kind of like Iowa through four years ago, back when they made the Rose Bowl. Uh, not saying that this isn't necessarily that team, but you know, seeing how Wisconsin played this week and Minnesota played this week, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa comes out and goes to the Big Ten championship game, with especially and maybe makes it a game considering how they play defensively. They looked really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a team I was kind of high on and like as an outsider sleeper sort of thing. And they they checked every box. They beat Indiana in a very Indiana way from last season. They they forced turnovers. They scored off of turnovers. They did everything they had to do. And, um, I mean, I think they're going to beat Iowa State next week. That's the big game next week, and I think they're going to beat them pretty good. It'll be, they, it'll be close. Um yeah, sorry, go ahead. I just, I, I just, I think they always beat Iowa State, and so it's going to happen again to me. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're the better team. Um, meanwhile, if you're Indiana, yikes. Like, what, so much for your preseason hype, so much for last year. Welcome back to – and don't get me wrong. 
like obviously again it's week one you're facing another top 25 team but you just got him embarrassed on national television i mean this is the team that i think the excitement about was probably a little unfair to what the talent level is of the team i think tom allen's a good coach and i think this is going to be a very good seven and five eight and four team but i think it's a seven and five eight and four team i don't think you know people talking about nine wins could they climb up the skit you know top three of the big 10 east I just don't think that's realistic based on what they were. Michael Penix Jr. got very lucky with his interception totals last season, where he should have had a lot more than he actually threw. And also, they created a lot more turnovers than is probably normal last season. And this was things that, you know, if you looked at the numbers from last season, these are the things that kept coming up, is that Indiana and Arkansas were probably the two luckiest teams in college football last year. And they both looked bad in week one this week. I still think that they are good enough to be decent teams, but I still think that they're teams that are, you know, we're fortunate to be where they were last year in a smaller sample size season, and they're probably regressing back to the mean now. I mean, even considering that, and I get you, the we talked about this in terms of, like, you know, the team that gets a lot of turnovers and the team that wins a lot of one-score games isn't going to carry that into the next year. But even then, this has to be the worst-case scenario in terms of, like, looking like your one strength is your offense and you look absolutely awful. And in terms of turnovers, you're negative three. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad performance. I mean, it really was, but, you know, I think this is still going to be a decent team. I still think it's a bowl team. But I think the the expectations now probably are going to have to be reset for what Indiana was. Yeah. Uh, the other afternoon ranked game was another blowout. And, and honestly, I, I, I'm just going to give you the floor on this. Texas uh, beat Louisiana 38-18. And that score, I don't think, is even indicative of how much of a blowout this was. Yeah, Texas looked good. I'm not going to crown them, like, amazing yet. I'm not going to give them, like, one reporter didn't give them a top 10 ranking out of after week one. But, you know, they played really good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they were comfortable with how they played. They were comfortable in the win. They didn't need to put up 50 in this game, I felt like. I think they were just comfortable doing what they did. And... I think that's what's going to kind of be the theme for Texas this year is Bajon Robinson's the best player on the field. And if Te- Bajon Robinson's the best player on the field, Texas can win games. And if he's not, then they're probably not going to win games. And in this game, he was by far the best player on the field. He had a very Alvin Kamara-like game where he was, you know, running the ball really well. He had 20 carries for over 100 yards. He was catching passes either, either, either out of the backfield or out of the slot. He was doing all these different things. I mean, he's a super talented player, and, you know, there's a reason that he was probably talked about as the the top pick for the non-quarterback Heisman Award, and I still think he's got definitely the most talented player. What? Can you hear me, my drink? Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Oh, and you drink. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so, I still think he's going to be the, uh, you know, probably the top non-quarterback in the country um, throughout the season, and he, he just showed it in this game. He looked better, and, you know... I still think Louisiana is a good team, but it's very hard to beat. You know, it's very hard to beat a ranked Big Twelve opponent one year. It's very even harder to do it two years in a row and catch both of those teams by surprise. Texas, I mean, this is what Texas is. You know, obviously, I'm not betting on this team to end up a top five team in the country or anything, but it recruits a high level of talent, and that talent can be harnessed into a very good football team. Yeah, and the, and the way I describe it is that this this is what I imagine a lot of teams have when it's like you know, a power five team versus another good team. Like the size difference was just noticeable and the, mm-hmm. the, the talent, the athletic level is noticeable. I do think Louisiana put up a really good fight and I'm excited to see 
what they're able to do over the course of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they go 11-1, and but they just didn't look great against Texas. And that could either be they are struggling or that Texas is just better than the 21st ranking they were given. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it could be a bit of both. It I could mean, be. It could yeah. be a bit of both, but I did feel like that there was a different class of player on the on the Louisiana sideline to the Texas sideline. Yeah, and Hudson Card looked fine. I'm not going to say he looked great. I think he looked pretty good for what he for being a freshman. I mean, Sark definitely had the training wheels on him, you know. Yeah, and I think you know having Robinson and having the Texas team around him helped him. Uh, we'll get to that in a second when we talk about A and M, but he. I mean, he looked good. I just don't think, if we're going to be grading him in general, he looked like a freshman who was in a offense designed to help the freshman out. Yeah, it's not like he was like Bryce Young just flinging 40-yard bombs. You know, there was, there was definitely, you know, an easing process into this. And I think Texas As there felt should like, be. Yeah. yeah. And I think Texas felt like they were a better team in this one and that, you know, Hudson Card didn't need to make big plays for them to win this. Absolutely. Um, the final ranked matchup, was was it? I believe going in, it was supposed to be like a really high scoring game. Am I maybe wrong? Clemson and Georgia. I thought it was like I thought it was supposed to be like. Let me look. I definitely didn't think so. Yeah, I mean, I mean the over and under was fifty two, yeah. and it ended up being a quarter of that. Yeah. Um, so well, obviously uh, Georgia wins ten to three. Uh, you know, a very low scoring. Clemson doesn't get its. Field goal until like late in the fourth quarter, middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll start off with this. Uh, Georgia's defense last year, I believe, struggled a lot of the year. Looks just as good as they've been over the last couple of years. They they look amazing. Yeah, I mean, Georgia won this game because the four best players on the field during this one were the four defensive linemen, particularly Jordan Davis, who I thought just dominated the middle of the field. The guy just pushed people around. I mean, he's gigantic and. Look gigantic against everybody else. I'm sure DJ Uli Okolole is still having nightmares of him just pushing walls of offensive linemen at him. Um, Jordan Davis was impressive. Um, Clemson's defensive line was impressive. I thought they were very good. And I thought, you know, the one guy who could do anything for Clemson was that uh, that Ingata, who, you know, is built like a tight end, but apparently is a wide receiver. He was the only one who could do anything for Clemson, but it just wasn't enough because, yeah. you know, whenever whenever they got tight field or into Georgia territory... Georgia's defense could just clamp down and suffocate them. You know, they had six sacks in the game. They dominated the line of scrimmage. They pushed them back, and they just dominated the game, and there was really yeah. nothing Clemson could do. And they didn't have the kicking game to try and, you know, hit any of these long field goals when they got stuck. Which, uh, I was surprised it was only six, because I felt like it was a lot more. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's telling that the only touchdown in the game was a pick six. Like, yeah. neither offense... And I don't even think, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about both quarterbacks, I don't even think it was necessarily a, both offenses struggle. I think both defenses are just so good that they caused their offenses to look pedestrian. Um, yeah, I mean, George, we know Georgia's always had a really good defense. We know Clemson's always had a really good defense. I think, especially given that both teams came into this game Offensively limited in terms of Ugalale only played in two games or two or one, two. I believe he played in two games last year. Uh, Daniels played a couple of games, but they have so few wide receivers at this moment. I think it was right for the defenses to exploit that, and in that battle, Georgia was the one had that one touchdown that enabled them to get the win. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is Clemson really made one, like, big mistake, and it would cost them. Georgia was not interested in even taking the chance on making mistakes in this game. You know, they didn't want to throw the ball 10 yards down the field. They really didn't. They didn't want to. They didn't even think about it half the time. And it worked because they didn't make any mistakes on offense that really hurt them like Clemson did on the touchdown. I mean, you talk about it like you talked about, um, like, yards per attempt, uh, sub five for JT Daniels, which is crazier considering he completed 22 passes. Yeah. And he only had 135 passing yards. Like, that tells you that he it was two yards and catch. Mm-hmm. Um, though I'll say this through George's offense. I really liked White, uh, given what he was doing with the Clemson defense. I would not be surprised if he has a pretty good season overall for the Bulldogs. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the big story I feel like of this game was uh, DJ's struggles for the Clemson offense. You were the one who anointed him a Heisman candidate, so I'd love your thoughts on how he played against Georgia. I still think he can have an awesome year, um, but I still think that he looked young in this game, and you know a lot of this too. I think you know games like this are where kind of Herb Street's the best in the business at what he does, and that he's watching this game and he's just like, this game just looks too fast for him. You know, he's just like, this game, he looks like he's struggling to process what Georgia's defense is throwing at him. And he, he looked very good last year against Notre Dame. I think we're starting to see that Notre Dame's defense last year was a little overrated compared to what it actually is. Um, but just a lot of what was thrown at him uh, in week one, I thought he was struggling to break down so young in his career. I still think he's going to be good. He still threw some pretty good balls out there. But... It was a lot for him to take in, I think, in his first week. Well, I also think that the Georgia and Notre Dame defenses are built differently mm-hmm. to the point that, and it's and it's similar to what A&M's defense is like, is like the Notre Dame defense, where it's not going to beat you with size necessarily. It's going to beat you with having really good linebackers and really good defensively backs. And Georgia's defense is just so big, it doesn't yeah. necessarily matter. Well, even in that game against Notre Dame, he looked good, but they lost. And yeah. part of the reason they lost is because he took some bad sacks at the end of games. And I thought I saw some of that, too, in this game, where he just he still needs to learn how to see pressure coming while looking downfield and avoid the pressure. Because it just seems like he's stuck on you know tunnel vision downfield and takes big sacks. And he took a lot of big sacks in this game, and he took sacks in that Notre Dame game that they lost. That's still something he's got to work on in this game. He is still young enough that I believe he'll fix it. And there was a lot of young guys on this Clemson team. A lot of the wide receiver group was young. The running backs were both young. I think they were starting a true freshman out of the gate. Um, there's still a lot of young guys on this offense that I think get better. They're just going to need a little more time. But the problem is now for Clemson, there's no margin for error. They lose another game, they're not in the playoff. Yeah. I guess the the, the good thing for Clemson is like of the three top ACC teams, they clearly had the better loss. In terms of like, you know, losing to Georgia by seven when your offense isn't doing much isn't necessarily a bad thing versus like, as we talked about, Miami got killed by Alabama and North Carolina got upset by a Virginia Tech team that to some people going into the season may not even make a bowl game. So uh, we'll see. But uh, I mean, yeah, the, the, the Clemson definitely has no margin for error, but I also think that they'll have a couple of weeks to right the ship at least. Yeah. Um, and again, it's good that they play in such a weak conference that it may not matter. Um, though, though it would be funny if, like, come the end of the season, 
if it's between like an 11 and 1 Georgia team and an 11 and 1 Clemson team, will this game be that deciding factor about Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I mean, if not, then we should definitely be expanding the playoff because there's no reason an 11 and 1 Georgia team whose only loss will probably be to Alabama doesn't make it into the playoff. Yeah, I mean, I could see both of these teams actually making it. Maybe. We'll have to see what happens. There's still a lot of football yeah. left to be played. I also wouldn't be surprised if Clemson loses the game because they have so many young guys on offense that this could be a team that you know is probably more equipped to win the title next year rather than this year. Well, one of the things we saw with like the not with the the Kelly Bryant or the Deshaun Watson era Clemson is they would always lose one game that you'd be like, how are they losing this game? But it wouldn't matter because they would still only have one loss. Yeah, I would not be surprised. If that happens this year, like they lose to like a Virginia Tech or a Boston College or something like that, and then that keeps them out of the playoff because they lost this game to Georgia. Yep. Uh, so that that's kind of the the big games this week, but there were obviously a bunch of like other games where teams struggled. You know, Iowa State only won by six to Northern Iowa. Uh, Oregon won by seven to Fresno State. Um, I guess the other big game we need to talk about is or, uh, Montana beat Washington, which I will never sh- stop talking about because how do you lose to Montana? That was bad. Um, and then I guess the other yeah, – the Notre Dame barely beat Florida State and probably should have lost because uh, – I mean, I thought they were better. I thought, I thought they were better, but I don't think they played at all well down the stretch. No, uh, it seemed like they took their foot off the gas. Um I think Jack Cohn's legit. I think the defense is going to get better, but it definitely took its foot off the gas and didn't really seem interested on defending the run at all in this game when, I don't know, Florida State... Like, Jordan Travis can't throw. And I thought Jordan Travis not being able to throw, you're going to basically put nine guys in the box and dare him to throw downfield. And they didn't do that. And, you know, Notre Dame or Florida State almost staged a comeback off of it. But Yeah, and Mackenzie Milton was the guy going to be the guy who would want it for them, which was a good story. Yeah, he, I think he's going to start from here on out. He's the better quarterback, and he looked good. He was looked, there a reason he didn't play week one? Was it just didn't know how good he was? He was dealing with some injury stuff in the preseason okay. for the offseason and didn't practice every day at camp. Plus, coming off that leg injury, I don't know what percent of talent he is you know, compared to what he used to be. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll finish up with this game just because it's got the big story of obviously the uh, comments from Brian Kelly at the end of the game. I, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like there are some things, even in context and knowing what he's saying, and even knowing that he's kind of joking, you still don't say him. And it's it's like, you know, like, I, like the, the, he was referencing someone else, but also that guy didn't say it when Twitter existed. Yeah. Like, Twitter is going to take what you say and re-plug it all over without context. Like, I don't know. I feel like Brian Kelly should know not to say stuff like that. I wasn't really worried about it, honestly. I mean, I I get, I don't know. I, I mean, get I why don't. people are upset, but at the same time, like, people are talking about because he works at a Catholic university, he shouldn't talk like that, does stuff like that. It's just like, all right, let's 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 calm down with canceling Brian Kelly here. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in canceling Brian Kelly. Like, I think there have been worst things said by worst coaches I just think if you're Brian Kelly and if you're like Notre Dame Athletics, there there's got to be things of like, dude, can you just not say, yeah, like 
Like, just don't do like it's when um yeah, just don't say that. I'm sure there. I'm sure Brian Kelly went back and looked at that and said, "Hey, I shouldn't have done that." Yeah. But at the same time, like, it wasn't that big a deal to me. It was kind of dumb to say, but at the same time, I laughed. So <laughs> I, I will say uh, on a uh, unrelated tangent, um, in in reference to that, people brought up the uh, Tom Brenneman, uh Nick Castellanos thing. Oh yeah, the famous like. I apologize for my fan. Nick Castellanos hits a home run in this format. I still, man, that is still, not only is it so funny, I love that people did not, when they, someone posted that in like a fake Notre Dame like typescript. Yeah. People did not know what that was referencing to. So they were like, wow, he's referencing his faith. And like, come on. <laughs> you have to know what that <laughs> yeah. was. That is the biggest. Uh, it still makes me laugh every it's time. It's still so funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, just going back to the game, I think they're going to run the ball what better than before with what they did. I still think Kyron Williams is one of the best running backs in college football. And I was just, you know, as far as Notre Dame, I was just pleased with how that passing game looked. Because that was the biggest question mark I felt like for Notre Dame. And they answered it emphatically. And I think that they're going to be, yeah. I think they're going to be a pretty good team this year. Uh, Jack Cohn's my guy. Yeah, especially coming off of an Ian Book, who I don't know, I, I was always questioning how good he actually was. In terms of, like, as a pure quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think Brian Kelly just kind of maximizes the guy he has in front of him, you know? True. Is he still on the Saints book? I think so. Okay. Yeah, he's the third guy behind those two. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll... Obviously, Oklahoma struggled. Uh, Doesn't really matter because I think they'll still run the table in the Big 12. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, Let's briefly talk about our two teams. So US, UCF got one of the big comeback victories in beating Boise State Week 1. Yeah, that was a crazy game. Yeah, I mean, outside of the, um, the Notre Dame game, I thought it was the game of the week, honestly. They, uh, they looked good in the second half. They you know, took more chances. They weren't afraid to throw the ball downfield. I thought uh, you know, the crowd was awesome, sticking out through the, the three-hour thunderstorm delay and all that. Everything that was going on with that game, and I thought UCF handled itself pretty well in that second half. Obviously, the first half was alarming, but they they ended up calming down and looked like the better team. And I mean, I honestly thought they should have won the game by more because it looked like towards the end they were just gift rafting Boise State a comeback, ended up getting the pick at the end, which was maybe the worst play I've ever seen from a college football quarterback. Because uh, Bachmeyer basically rolls out of the pocket into Big Cat Bryant, starts running downfield, passes the line of scrimmage, and then throws the ball right to a defensive back for an interception to end the game. It was a really crazy play. Happy UCF won. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this team's good enough to beat Cincinnati, but it's certainly going to be fun to watch. And more importantly, you know, especially in a game like that where it's two of the better uh, non-Power 5 conferences, obviously we're seeing what's happening now where they by by this time next week they may be confirmed for the Big Twelve. We actually don't know if that's a thing, but you're hoping for it. It it always seemed like it was coming, and I think it's the right move rather than trying to poach Big Twelve teams to the AAC. Just because there's already contracts in place, you'll get on ESPN every week. Mm. You'll play teams that are like Oklahoma State. You know, Oklahoma State's a good football program. Baylor's a decent football program. Texas, Texas is a decent football yeah. program. It's good to have those kind of games in your resume. I think it well. I think it also does a good job of 
killing two birds with one stone, which is these non-Power 5 teams who feel like they're good enough to, to be playoff bound but aren't given the respect they deserve mm-hmm. are now put into a position where they can be because even considered the fifth Power 5 conference, the Big 12 is still leagues ahead in terms of the American, in terms of reputation. Yeah. Um, and for the Big 12 teams, it probably puts them into that back into that conversation of staying a Power 5 conference. Well, also, if the the if you're bringing over, you know, Cincinnati basketball and some of the like, maybe makes them the best pa- basketball conference ever. I mean, yeah, Cincinnati, Kansas, Baylor, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, Texas Tech, you know, yeah. Uh, finally, just briefly about A and M because I watched that entire game and had moments of yelling. Haynes King looked. I don't want to say subpar. He he wasn't great. I think the problem was A&M ran their offense kind of like they ran last year. The problem is you're going from pick-averse Kellen Mond, whose best attribute was he wasn't going to throw an, an easy pick. Yeah. When he, when he misses a receiver, he's overthrowing him by a mile versus putting into a position where they could get picked off. The running game wasn't as good as it should have been against uh, Kent State. Now, maybe that was just because of the new O-line, but it just didn't look great for most of the game. Uh, as a result, Haynes King was thrown into a lot of running scenarios and deep passing scenarios, and I think in the first half he looked really rough. Now, granted, I think he had three picks. I think two of those picks were tipped to ways where it's not necessarily reflective of him. Mm-hmm. Um and I still think that the receiving core outside of Anaya Smith and Jalen Weidermeyer is still very sketchy. Uh, I like Caleb Chapman, and maybe he becomes a solid third guy in that receiving core, but it's still definitely not like anything sustainable for an Aggie offense. I still think the defense played really, really well. Um, you know, they only they, they scored uh, six points. No, no, they scored ten points. But one of those came late in the fourth quarter. And then um, uh, a field goal in the first quarter. The defense played really well for most of the game. Uh, the only drive where they really like did not play well uh, was that third quarter drive that ended up with a pick six, where you could there were some, I'd say questionable penalties where like a guy got charged with a late hit even though he was the guy who technically tackled him. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean. I don't think you can give a and a great grade, but when you consider, like, Oklahoma barely beat Tulane, uh, Iowa State barely beat Northern Iowa, you know, North Carolina lost, uh, U, uh, UCLA beat L- I, I think you could give them a B-plus and be happy with it. Yeah, I mean, in a game where they turned the ball over five times, getting almost 600 yards of offense and winning 41-10 to 10 is yeah. impressive. Um I think the good thing you'd have to say if you're a Texas A&M fan um, is that, yes, there's going to be growing pains with the young quarterback in King, who's a redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. I still think he's uber-talented, and I think that the good thing you take away from it is that there was still explosiveness to King's game. Yeah. Obviously, you want to clean up the mistakes, but there were big plays happening in this one, and they had a ton of yards in this game. And you know, and there were enough flashes of potential, especially on like the first couple of drives where you saw what this offense could be. Yeah. Um, I do 
wonder how much of his struggles were the receiving core, because I still am not a fan of this receiving core. Again, outside of Wyatt Myron Smith, who Smith is one of those guys who I'm just like, he he's just so explosive. He could he yeah. could play for any team and be really good. Um, yeah, I mean Spiller and Chain looked good. Spiller had his moments of like, why, why is he not getting more yardage? But it's also that's kind of Spiller's game. He's not going to burn you for eighty yards. He's just going to get like six yards of carry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big way is going to be how they play this week uh, in Denver against Colorado. They should win, and even if they played similar to how they played last week, they should probably still win. But I think whether or not they win close or win in a blowout is going to be the big determining factor in how they like are per- perceived, and maybe how they like. Because right now, I, I think because of the Clemson loss, they moved up to five in the country. Yeah. Um, the season starts week six for Texas A&M. Is that Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're playing you're playing the bottom two teams in the SC West before that. Sure, maybe they can upset you, but I'm not betting. Well, that. Arkansas is always a game that's really close. Yeah. Except for last year, I think. But like, legitimately, for always, for like, even though we were pretty good and they were pretty bad, it always ended up being pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a chance. There's not a zero percent chance that you lose any either of those games, but it just feels like you know. As far as like the preparation for the offense and King goes, you're getting him ready for week six, and you're living with the growing pains until then. True. And again, there are worse things to be in the world than to be struggling with a freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think he... He clearly didn't have the worst freshman game. No. And he played better than Sam Howell. So yeah. we'll say that. Um, okay, let's, let's... Do you want to start off with NFL or college football? Let's just wrap up college football. Okay. So there are three uh, ranked games this week. Uh, let's start with uh, two teams that had their struggles week one in Oregon and Ohio State. I don't think Oregon did nearly enough to, n- to not make me think Ohio State's just going to blow them out. Yeah, and I mean, the biggest thing is Kayvon Thibodeau might be out. Uh, I know he's... Oh, yeah, because he got injured in the yeah, game. If he's not out, he's playing hurt is basically what I heard. He's playing with a sprained ankle. Which obviously limits his explosiveness because I think that's the one thing you could say, you know, Ohio State's a little young and light on the offensive line. Maybe you attack them there. I also think that they're a little young and light on the cornerback spot. So maybe you attack Ohio State at those two spots, and those are two spots that I'm not exactly sold on with Oregon. I'm not exactly sold on the wide receivers, and I'm not exactly sold on the guys other than Thibodeau on that defensive line. I know they got a defensive tackle who's pretty good too, but. Thibodeau is just a huge part of their defensive success, and missing him is going to be big. And, yeah, I mean, I think Ohio State should probably roll him, especially if Anthony Brown starting for Oregon. I'm not really sold on his, him as a quarterback, so I got the Buckeyes by two touchdowns. And it's, so it's, a, it's in Ohio State. It's a 14.5-point spread. Um, I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know if it necessarily gets to 14.5, but I do think that Ohio State's going to have enough to lead heavily throughout this game. I'll go I'll go 48 I'll go 48-31 Ohio State. I know I know I just contradicted myself, but I think that, you know I'll go 41-31 Ohio State. But with Oregon getting a late garbage touchdown to, to keep it closer. 
42-28. That's what I'll go with. Ohio State wins. Which, by the way, t- speaking back to the A&M game, that may be the worst bad beat of the – like, just the team has two chances to cut it down to 28, line is 30, and they miss two field goals within the, the opponent's 10. Yeah. Like, wow. Um, the other one is obviously uh, a Big Ten – another Big Ten. I feel like the Big Ten is, like, trying to stack the first couple of weeks mm-hmm. in order to make their teams maybe look better. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but the big one, Iowa at Iowa State, uh, four-and-a-half point say, favorite for Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, Iowa, Iowa goes into this matchup probably the more confident team just because of how they dominated against, uh, uh, against Indiana. And they always beat Iowa State. They've won the last five contests. They're 45-22 and 22 all-time. Uh, against Iowa State, they're clearly the advantage in the rivalry. It's like the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State rivalry. There's two options. Either Iowa wins by a little or Iowa wins by a lot. That kind of seems like the thing. Uh, if you go to my new newsletter, Saturdays with the Boys, that I just released today, on my best bets column, I have Iowa plus four and a half. I think they're the better team. I think they're more talented. I think they're better defensively. I think they can create some turnovers. I think Brock Purdy's honestly done nothing but regress since he started as a quarterback for Iowa State, and I'm not really sold on him to beat this Iowa defense. So I got the Hawkeyes winning. How much do you have them winning by? I think they win by a score. I think they're the better team, and they're getting points in this one. I just think, yeah, I mean, I think they can win by a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to bet, and again, don't bet uh, if unless you have the money to, uh, I would probably bet on Iowa just because, again, give them points, and I think they'll probably be the better team. I think it'll be really close. I'm going to give it 21-19 Iowa. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think the defenses are both pretty good. I'll go with um, 21-13 Iowa. What's the over and under is 46, which – Probably realistic, like, mm-hmm. you know, getting 23 for both teams. That's like an Army-Navy over on me. That's impressive. <laughs> I mean, again, I think both teams are good defensively and have decent running games with mediocre quarterbacks, I'd say. Mediocre is fair. Yeah. Um, the other game I'd like to highlight uh, this week, uh, obviously we could talk about, you know, a and Colorado, but I think that game will not be close necessarily. I really want people on Friday to watch Kansas Coastal Carolina, just because it's like, I don't know, there's not going to be many games where Coastal Carolina is going to be that much favorite against a Power 5 team. Yeah, the shot to clear is going to, you know, crush it. I mean, they are. They're a much better team. Um, I like Lance Fieldpold. He got the win for Kansas in Week 1. But this is just a different class of opponent than South Dakota, which is saying a lot for, you know, it's impressive what they've done at Coastal Carolina. They've built this program to where it is. And they're a way better team. They're going to cover this one pretty easily. This also made my bet's best pick. I'm picking Coastal Carolina minus 25 and a half. Which is crazy. Because yeah. I, I I have a general rule of never betting anything over 20 points. Just because you never know, like, to that degree what's going to happen. Like, obviously, if it like if you think, you think the team could win by that amount. But to say, I'm going to put money that they're going to win by over 20 points seems crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I just think that they win by four scores in this one. True. Um, The the one that I wanted to highlight was Texas at Arkansas. Just because, again, this is, you talked about it. I don't know if I'd say Arkansas struggled last week. I think they played fine. I think they did it. 
times. But yeah, I mean, I thought they were fine, but I mean... This one I think will be a very interesting matchup. It's at seven points. I would not be... Don't get me wrong. I don't think Arkansas will win. But I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas keeps this really close. Like, I think Arkansas, coming out this week, you know, I think they've got a really uh, decent running back in Traylon Smith. Uh, I like what Arkansas defensively will do. I would, you know, I, I think... Arkansas will keep this a lot closer than other people think they will, especially being at home. I'm going to give Texas a 24-21 win. Yeah, I mean, there is a roadmap that Arkansas can control the clock on the ground, win the line of scrimmage, and kind of keep this game interesting. That being said, I still think Bajar Robinson probably hits 150 total yards. He probably scores a couple times, and I think Texas wins this one. I'm going to go... I'll go... 27 to 13. They win by two touchdowns. Okay. So those are our college football picks. Uh, let's transition over to some NFL picks because obviously this is the uh, first week of, of the NFL season and it's always the most exciting time of year because your team is not losing. That's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's start off with obviously the, the season opener Tampa or Dallas at Tampa Bay. Tampa. Okay, so I'm probably also leaning Tampa, though I think it'll be closer than some people think it'll be. Um, but I'd love your thoughts on, because right now the line is Tampa Bay by eight and a half. Uh, give me your thoughts. So I guess, you know, the roadmap is that even though the secondary I think is developing to being pretty good, I think the secondary is still the weakest part of the Tampa Bay defense compared to the Dallas Cowboys receivers, which is the best part of their team, never mind their offense. Okay. Um, so maybe those receivers attack them downfield. I still think CeeDee Lamb's going to have a monstrous year. But, like, I mean, the stuff with Dallas is already happening. Like, Zach Martin's out of this game. Their best that hurts are, a lot, yeah. I think. Because uh, I think, like, you talk about, I think Dallas's offensive line has played a lot better since, like, the first half of the last year. And so I think you're talking about, like, oh, you know, Dow's offense, Dak coming back, Zeke hopefully turns the corner, maybe this is a competitive game. Losing Zach Martin is such a huge part of losing their identity. Yeah, and then obviously the, the big thing for the Bucks was this, if Nam Kinsu is going to play, he's cleared to play, so he's good to go. Then all of a sudden you're in this point where, I mean, yeah, Tampa Bay is obviously a lot better. And unless Dallas is able to hit big plays, which I think is going to be tough with Zach Martin out and hurting that offensive line, um, if, unless Dallas is able to hit a couple big plays, I just don't see any way they keep in track. This is a bad Dallas defense still, and I don't trust Dan Quinn. I don't trust Dan Quinn at all, actually, as a defensive coordinator. And his cover three scheme that he's basically run since he was in Seattle, Bruce Arians' offense that basically is four verts to the max all the time is kind of built to destroy cover three schemes. And I just don't see the guys in the Dallas secondary covering Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, Rob Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait. I don't see them covering all those guys. There's at least two of those guys I think are going to have monstrous games against the Cowboys secondary that's still young and developing and in a bad scheme for the matchup. And I think Tampa Bay wins this one pretty handily. Um, my only thought process with this game in general is that how scary this Tampa Bay team is going to be now that they've had a full offseason together. Mm -hmm. We saw how, obviously, lethal they became in the second half over those final eight games. Uh, and historically, 
that the first year when you're assembling a team is really hard. We saw that with New England 20 years, 21 years ago, where first year they kind of struggled, and then once you put in Tom Brady, defense gets closer together, they become a lot better. Um, I would not be surprised if Tampa Bay wins 15, 16, 17 games, question mark. Uh, I don't know if they win that. I don't know if they win that just because I think that's really hard to say in general. Like, to say a team's going to win 17 games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Tampa Bay, of the two teams, Tampa Bay and Kansas City, I think they're the team more likely to. Mm-hmm. And I think especially week one, they, from all I've seen in, like, interviews and stuff, they all look really focused and determined on winning this game. Yeah. They don't look like they're discounting the cow- what the Cowboys can do, which I think is the potential trap you see from a week one matchup. Uh, I think they'll win. I think they'll win. Uh, I think they'll not dominate the Cowboys. I think they'll have a pretty easy hand against the Cowboys, but I still think it'll be a lot closer than people say it is. Um, I will go... I'm trying to think the over and under. I'll go... 31-24 Buccaneers. I could see this game as like a game where Tampa Bay drops like 21 in the first quarter and then just kind of cools off and, you know, takes it. Oh, easy. so the reverse of the uh, Bucks chiefs game last year? Yeah, and they just kind of, you know, coast from then on out. Okay. Um, and I don't know. Like, I here's the thing with Dallas. Like, they're all of a sudden the favorites to win the NFC East again. And I get it. Their offense is still pretty good. But... Even when Dak was on the field last year, this wasn't a team that was like successful. You know, they won a game because Atlanta forgot to recover how to recover onside kicks, and Dak's numbers were insane. He was on pace to break the passing record until he got hurt. But a lot of that was because they were down a lot of games, and he was throwing the ball a bunch to keep them in games. But they still lost a lot of those games, and I think that's the one thing you have to look at with the Cowboys. I'll say Tampa thirty-five to twenty-one. I think they get out to a big lead and then kind of coast where Dallas makes things a little bit interesting, but at the same time, I see Tampa just winning this one comfortably. Um, can you pick out a game you want to talk about? Just for oh, yeah. Because um, uh, I was going to go five in general. Um, I'll, let's then go to one of the noon games on Sunday. Uh, the one I'm most interested in is Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Um, that was a game... I believe it was in Buffalo last year where uh, Pittsburgh was dro- uh, lost their second game in a row, and obviously we saw how their season ended. Buffalo is another team that's in that like, you know, likely to make the playoffs, hoping that they can turn the tide against Kansas City and win a title. And I think again, this is you know, two teams with really interesting offensive and defensive philosophies that I'm interested. I think Buffalo could kill them, but I think that this game will be close. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the narrative on Pittsburgh being bad all of a sudden is a little overblown, and I think this line's a little high because it's 6.5 towards Buffalo. I mean, I still think there's opportunities for Pittsburgh to move the ball. I think they're going to run the ball better this season just because they have a better running back. I know the offensive line's not good, but they have a better running back. I think they're going to be able to move the ball a little bit. Um, And they still have T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, all those guys on the defense. The question I think is, I don't know if they're going to be able to cover as well as they did last season, and that was something that they kind of patched together. I don't think. I Joe think that was their was... big struggle too last yeah. year. Is like, especially once um, once Dupree got injured, they really struggled uh, to a degree to get the pass rush as strong as it was, 
And because of that, the defensive back struggles were even more adamant. Mm-hmm. Um, like, don't get me wrong. I don't think Pittsburgh will be bad. I don't think Pittsburgh is going to be uh, contending for number one overall pick. But I think in the division they're in, uh, and especially in this week against a good Buffalo team that I think just got better on the defensive side of the ball, I would not be surprised to some degree if this game is a blowout. Though I do think that Tomlin and Roethlisberger and them will be able to keep it at least competitive. Yeah, I'll go 28-24. Buffalo wins this one. I think they're the better team. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball. I think Allen's going to be able to move the ball downfield. And that's the weakness of Pittsburgh is defending the pass, and Buffalo passes mm-hmm. a lot. So I think it'll be I'll go 31-21. Yeah. Is there a game you want to highlight? Uh, the battle of the Alabama quarterbacks. Well, I guess we'll just go to my team. So oh, got- yeah. No, I, well, this is also a very competitive matchup because this is – you know, the team that last year almost made the playoffs versus the team that almost always makes the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And this is probably a battle that they'll decide, if not a playoff spot exactly, who's most likely to be in that seventh. It could be very telling for both of these teams early on where they are. Um, these teams always tend to split, though. That's the one thing you would probably look at. But at the same time... Did they split last year? I think so. Okay. Um, I don't know. Like... I'm too, like, I think I'm too on the bandwagon right now to get too excited or to, like, look at this rationally. But New England just looks like a better team right now. Well, do you want me to give you my, like, non-biased? Yeah, go for it. You go first. Okay, so here's my thoughts. A, last year's game to start the season between Miami and New England was a big tell for last year to where Miami kept it really close. Uh, I believe they got a pick against Cam Newton? I may be wrong. Or maybe I'm thinking the other way around. We got a couple picks on that. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, but it was a lot more competitive than I think a lot of people thought it would be to the point of like, wait, is this Miami team good? And then obviously they make their run versus once Cam Newton got his COVID thing, the New England kind of went down. I think Miami will struggle to start the year because of Tua. Not that he can't be a good quarterback, but he didn't get a lot of playing time last year, so he's essentially coming in as a sub, like a kind of rookie, especially because he didn't have an offseason last year. Mm-hmm. Um, New England got a very savvy veteran group together to fix this, or not to fix the defense, but to plug in some of the holes on the defense to make them even better. Uh, I think defensively they'll, if not be entirely the year really good, I think they'll at least start the year pretty good mm-hmm. defensively, like they always do. And I think under Mac Jones, the best thing this Patriots team will do is they'll just run the ball a lot. And they got good running backs. Yeah, and they got good running backs and a pretty good offensive line. I don't know if this Patriots team is going to make the playoffs. And by the end of the year, this Dolphins team could be a better team than the Patriots in general. However, I think because of the coaching preparations that Belichick always does, how these teams are built, the veteran group that the Patriots are in, and if this game being in Foxborough, I'd give them like a two to three point advantage just because of that. I don't think this game will be a blowout from either side. I would be surprised if either team built more than a two score lead. Mm-hmm. But I do think that when it comes down to it, and because of that, I think that the Patriots will come out on top. The Patriots should dominate the line of scrimmage in this game. They have a very good offensive line that's probably top eight or nine in football right now. And they have a defensive line that has looked unreal in the preseason. 
the additions of Matthew Judon and Christian Barmore, plus linebackers um, Dante Hightower coming back, Kyle Vannoy returning to the team. They've overwhelmed a lot of opponents early in game uh, preseason games. And Miami, I think PFF ranked, Pro Football Focus ranked Miami as the worst offensive line in football heading into this season. Which I, I think is unfair. I mean, it's, it's young and bad. I think it's bottom five at least. Um, and Austin Jackson's out too, which is another thing. You know, not that he was good last year, but, you know, he's still a guy that they're kind of depending on. And he is out at left tackle, too. So I think New England should dominate the line of scrimmage, and they should be able to run the ball at will. I think Mac Jones isn't going to be out to do a lot, especially against... I think the one thing that was surprising about Mac Jones getting the call to start right away is because they play Miami, Tampa, and New Orleans right off the bat, which are three good secondaries. And Miami's secondary is no joke with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, and that's going to be tough to go up against, so I don't think they're going to force him to do a whole lot in the offensive game unless they fall behind. But it's just hard to see with that defensive line, even with Stephon Gilmore out, the defense should dominate. I just think New England's going to win this one pretty easily. I think they're going to be comfortable in this one. I think I'm going to win it. It's going to be one of those games where it looks closer because their offense isn't as explosive, but it's going to be like a comfortable 23-13 to win. I'm going to go 24-21. New England. Yeah. But again, I think in the same way that I'm giving New England the edge, I'm not discounting how good this Miami team could be, especially by the end of the season. And I think if they can beat the Patriots at their place, I think that'll be a big way to determining their success this season. Yeah. I think of the games we're talking about, I think this one has the potential to be the closest. Yeah. Um, the next game, uh, my final pick, I guess, I'll go with uh, another 325 game, Cleveland at Kansas City. Uh, again, this is a rematch from last year's playoffs. Uh, you know, Cle- uh, Kansas City's had the big offseason in terms of Joe Thune. Uh, still think they have Kyle Long, though I don't know if he's going to play week one. No, it's Fitzpatrick. Wait, Joe Thune, Kyle Long. Who's- Kyle Long? Kyle before? Long. Oh, he Kyle Long, yeah. I was thinking of uh, Washington. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Long, they do have a Kyle Long. Um, Kyle Long, I think, will play. I don't know what the deal is. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, regardless of that, um, I think this game is right now a six-point edge, which I think is disrespectful to how good Cleveland will be. Like, I get Kansas City is Kansas City, and I still think they'll win the game. But I think giving... Cleveland, that like I think that's just a tr- giving a trap to Kansas City because I think Cleveland's just as good, except for in, at the quarterback position. I think Cleveland's just as good as Kansas City, if not better at almost every spot besides quarterback. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are tight end too, I guess, because I mean, wide receiver Tyree Kill's better than any. Cleveland wide receiver, but there's not a whole lot of depth behind him now. And you could argue OBG, the combination of OBJ and Jarvis Landry is better than the combination of Tyreek Hill and whoever else they would have. Yeah, there's not the depth behind Hill now, and I think that's a problem. And I just think, I think there's a bit of a revenge factor to this game. I think that, you know, Cleveland can come out and kind of control the line of scrimmage in this game, which they should, and I think they're going to be able to run the ball effectively. And they're going to be able to avenge that loss. I'm going to actually pick Cleveland in this one. I think that they can win it. I think they're the more talented team from top to bottom of the roster. They've done a great job constructing this team, and this is them out to prove their contenders. I think the one, I mean, I think being at home helps Kansas City a lot. 
Yeah. Um, being in front of their home fans. We know Arrowhead is another one of those, like, huge home field advantages. Yeah. Um, it all comes down to how good Baker Mayfield plays. Um, I think that's one of the things that was lost in kind of their good run last year, or maybe even not, is that how efficient he was near the end of last season. Yeah. Um, obviously, having another year of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is going to be amazing. Their offensive line is just as good. They've gotten even better on defense in terms of adding uh, Josh Johnson and then a... Uh, Troy Hill. No, Troy Hill, too. Yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, Jadavion Clowney, from what I've heard, has looked pretty good. I mean, he shouldn't be calling out guards like he did. Yeah. But um, he, he looks not necessarily back, but he looks like he's going to be... Could potentially be deadly, uh, complementary to Miles Garrett. We still know they have holes at the linebacker position, but if which could be a problem against what Kansas City does with the tight ends. But I also wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't necessarily matter with how good the rest of the defense is. Something in me is still going to give the edge to Kansas City, even though I do think a lot of what um, uh, Cleveland does is going to match up well. But I think six points is a little too high. You know what? I'm going to go one point just because I think it's going to be close. I'm going to give it a 30, uh, 28-27 win for Kansas City. I'll do something weird. I'll just say something like 31-26 Cleveland. I think they pull out this one. but yeah, And I mean, make an ugly, ugly score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're good enough to win this game, though. I think that they're, good. they're explosive on offense. They're very good on defense. I think they have the chance to win this game, and I think they go in and win it. So give me your final game. All right. Um, I don't know. This isn't the best two teams to play this week, but I think it's the most competitive game, honestly. We'll go Washington against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Washington has a team that was a stifling defense last year, did a very good job to do, use that to win the NFC East, albeit you know with seven wins. Fitzpatrick comes in with his first start for Washington. I think he can stabilize that offense. I think their receiving core is underrated. With Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson's prime for a big year at the running back spot. And they're taking on a Chargers team where the defense should be better with Derwin James finally healthy. They, they got better on the offensive line. A new head coach, which should help the team because they had a bad head coach last season. And then Justin Herbert, year two. What kind of lead can he take? I think this is a very compelling game that I think could be actually pretty close. And more importantly, I think it's interesting because it's two completely different identity clashes. Where it's like you talk about a... A Washington team that's entirely built on having a really good defense in an offense that just scores like 20 points. Yeah. And if they can score 20 points, they win. Um, versus a uh, Los Angeles team that at least last year wasn't necessarily sexy on defense, but was you know highlighted by a very high-powered offense. Yeah. But we don't know what this Chargers team is going to look like. True. Because right? you know, they hired a defensive coach in Brandon Staley, which I think was the right hire. Um, and, you know, they still got really good players on defense. They still have Joey Bosa, who's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. They still got pretty good corners with Chris Harris. Asante Samuel Jr. is a guy they drafted. who could be pretty good. Derwin James, like I said, the safety spot. Kenneth Murray, a year under his belt now at linebacker. You know, there's some talented players on defense, but you look at the offense and that's what you're excited about with Herbert, Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jared Cook now taking over defense or tight end, and they got a good offensive line now. So it's going to be interesting to yeah. see this team. Yeah, and then meanwhile on the other side, I think it's kind of similar to Washington, where a lot of people talk about their defense, 
But, you know, their offense has got, you know, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin. Uh, I was going to say, Joe, who is, I can't remember their running back. Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson. Even uh, McKissick behind him. Yeah, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, you know, is last year was the better quarterback in Miami. He nearly led them to a playoff appearance. Yeah. Um, you know, I would not be surprised if Washington's offense drastically improves this year. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, again, Dallas for that NFC East crown. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington, you know, wins 12 to 13 games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I bet on Washington to win the NFC East. I think that they are the best team there. Um, and they were good with bad quarterback play last season. And they were terrible with Dwayne Haskins, who's, you know, worse than bad quarterback play. Yeah. So, Which, by the way, I'm still surprised he's on the Steelers. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, the thing I guess is, they just have nothing left. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so interesting to see, but at the same time, like, Alex Smith wasn't particularly good last year, but he they at least won games with him, and that was the big thing for them. And if they get anything close to, like, average quarterback play... I think this could be a really good team. I mean, we saw them in the playoffs. You know, Taylor Heineke had a good game. Now, granted, I don't know if that was just him having playing well or the team just... Didn't they score the most points on Tampa during the playoffs? Maybe it was... No, I think Green Bay outscored them. Because Washington... I think they may have scored the first half, most of their first half points. I don't know, because Washington scored 26, I thought. I thought it was only 20. Anyway, you'll look that up. Um, I don't even know what the what. Do you know what the line is between Washington and? The it's Cubs? been the tightest line of week one. I think it's one point now for Washington. Um, I think Washington will win this just because I think that their defense will be able to outpower the Chargers' offense better than the opposite. But I think it'll be close. I'll go twenty-one seventeen Washington with maybe like a pick six or. Kick return somewhere in there. Yeah. This could be a game that's like one of those surprisingly high-scoring games. It just kind of gets it out of hand a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I am going to pick Washington. I will go 28-27. to 27. I think this okay. game is going to so, be as close as the line says. So that's uh, – did you look it up, by the way? Yeah, they were close. But, yeah, Green Bay scored 26 and Washington scored 23. Oh, yeah. So close. <laughs> Surprisingly, the the NFL MVP almost got outscored by Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Um, if they just not kicked that field goal, man. Yeah. They just went for it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so again, that those are our NFL picks. Tampa Bay. Uh, I think we both. Yeah, we both picked New England. You picked Cleveland. I picked Kansas City. And then we both picked Washington. We both picked Washington. Am I missing one? Oh, uh, Buffalo. We both picked Buffalo. Yeah. So uh, those are our exciting games. We'll be back next week to kind of do overreaction, underreaction to what we saw this week and then pick next week's games. As always, this has been the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Grom. And thank you all so much for listening. Thanks and gig them. Peace.